0: Hello, I'm Denise Roberts, and this is my podcast, Thoughts, Words, and Deeds, Everyone Has a Story. I'm here to unpack those three words and how they can propel you into greatness or stop you in your tracks. All right, so it's Denise Roberts here, so thank you for listening to Thoughts, Words, and Deeds. And today, what we're going to talk about with Kathy McCafferty-Smith, as well as Randy Stevenson, Hello. <laughs> is about... Engagement. Engagement in the workplace. Why is it there? Why is it not there? What's missing and what's going on? So Kathy, this is one of your
1: favorite topics. You wanna kick us off? I'd just like to say that when engagement isn't present, it's kinda like when air isn't present. You absolutely know it's not there. And uh-huh. it's a real challenge in organizations today.
0: All right. And Miranda, you were talking about why why do you were saying that
2: we're like this? with my nose in the air. Um I was, what I was talking about was uh, cynicism and greed and self centeredness. Um, and these are things that plague us worldwide up and down our socio economic, you know, structure. Um, people are in it for themselves. And that's, Unfortunately, that's I think that's what you guys see at a lot of your networking events They you people come up to you and they talk to you and immediately they pass judgment on who you are and whether or not you can do something for them. And as opposed to being as opposed to continuing to be engaged in that conversation, they say, well, here's my business card. See ya." Um, how do you combat that? How do you make people nicer? It's this, what you guys are trying to do is just so admirable. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> I, couldn't, I can't think of a way to do it. Candy. Here's
1: how I position how much we've changed in the business world, and that filters into all aspects of our life, because we all go to work in some way or shape or form. So, years ago, we had employers that took care of their employees. They had pension systems. You worked 30 years for an organization, you were loyal to them, The, the company was loyal to you. You walked away with a pension, a gold watch, and you felt like you had a partnership. Well, all of that's gone away. So now you have a portable suitcase of skills and a portable suitcase called a 401k for most people, 403b for some. And so when you don't have that employment contract where you're both taking care of each other, that used to be like our net giving conversation. Now it's every man for himself because nobody's taking care of me. So I'm going to go to the next place, particularly millennials, um, and learn what I need to learn and get an experience that I can get an experience from. And then I'm going to travel to someplace else, and so people are, you know, leaders are pulling their hair out because they can't maintain or retain people. But they really don't get to the crux of, how are you investing in them? Don't use your authority, use your relationship. And the relationship is asking, what energizes you? What engages you? Why would you stay here? Instead, we wait until they leave and we do an exit interview rather than a stay interview. And I think that's the, the big ball of wax of mess that we've got, and I agree with Randy, where every man for himself, well, every man's standing alone and cynical. If we connect, like we talked about in our earlier podcast, and we know what the pe- people are energized by at our leadership level or at our employee level, we can partner and we can come together and do some of the things that we need to do together more effectively.
0: Well, let's go with that. How do you, how do you find out? I, I'm the CEO of a 500-employee uh, company. I'm not going to go and talk to each one individually and say,
1: what energizes you? So how, how am I going to learn that? I think at that level, it's more of a, what is your culture and what do you stand for? And are you behaving and believing and acting on what you say you believe and act on? Because a lot of times there's incongruency in a culture of, these are the culture words on the wall, but how are we living them behaviorally with all levels and at a respectful level? And leaders need to have those conversations with each other in addition to with their people. So can you give me an example of that? Um, I, we had an example recently. I know we
0: did.
2: <laughs>
1: We asked about culture words on a wall at a particular organization we were working with. And accountability stood out to me as a word because I had had that word in a previous organization. And I learned in that organization that everybody thought of it very differently. So here's how the conversation went. Uh, I asked about accountability and we got, well, when we make a mistake, we make it right. Or we apologize when we've offended somebody. And I asked the question, what about positive accountability? And they were stumped. I had to explain, are you accountable for somebody else's success? Your partner's struggling, they may not have the product knowledge that you that you do. Do you offer that? Or maybe it's you're better with customers who are irate and you could help and step in and maybe calm that customer down. That would be positive accountability.
0: This is your catch somebody doing something right or something good, right? Or
1: supporting them. It's a net giving function in a sense of what we were talking about. You get involved in helping someone in the moment because there's a need. So Randy, when you hear the word
0: accountability, do you have a positive thought or a negative thought to that?
2: My experiences, um, having run a small business for over 30 years um, and trying to do the things that you talked about as far as um, taking care of my employees. I mean, they had the Cadillac of health insurance for, they, I gave them everything and I did not get it back. And so occasionally I felt like I had to kind of nudge them and say, you know, you're not going to find a better gig than this one that's paying you this much and lets you bring your dog to work and gives you all these, <laughs> gives you all these benefits. Um, and I found that uh, holding them accountable for their, for their work and for their attitude wasn't easy. At least it wasn't for me. Um, so um, I felt that. I guess I feel that trying to hold people accountable in my case was a negative thing because they reacted negatively to it.
0: First words that come to my mind when someone says being accountable is hold their feet to the fire, right?
2: Yeah, make them earn it. Come on, yeah. don't just lay there. Do do it like I would do it. Yeah, you know, right. Um, really hard now, to find. Does that bring
0: about engagement or disengagement?
2: Well, it starts out as engagement with that, you know, let me take this person aside and discuss it with them and say, hey, you know, I'm noticing that you don't seem happy or that you, you're not doing a great job. Um, and even in a lot of cases, uh, at least with the people that I work with in this business tend to have a lot of big egos. And so it's they get very sensitive about that. And as opposed to taking... You know, good criticism and uh, and constructive help uh, it causes disengagement. Yeah. They just they go, oh well, I didn't know you felt that way. Never mind.
1: I can take it out of the business realm with an experience with my sixteen-year-old son, who's now in his forties. I'll confess my age, but it it made me think of what we talked about in net giving as far as an exchange, and I think that maybe this would frame it a little better. Um, he wanted to drive my car, and he wanted to use my gas, correct? <laughs> and so he was one of those kinds of teenagers that had a stubborn mind and was going to do what he wanted to do. I don't know where he gets it. Nah, but yeah, I don't either. That red hair has something to do with it. But. <laughs> so... I created a contract for him. I had, We negotiated the conditions of what he could do, use the how he could use the car. And so the case had to be hanging in the right spot where we all could access it, because he had a sister that drove, too. The gas had to be at the level of what the tank was when he took it out, and he had to be home by the curfew for the week or the weekend, because he had to. And I wasn't going to say a word if he didn't follow the contract. All I did was put my hand out physically for the keys, And he lost the privilege. He signed it. It went on the refrigerator. We never had another argument about the car because I would just tap the contract, open my hand, and say... Um, this the keys go here. He knows what that means. There were no that actually verbal. worked. It actually worked. Boy, and so with my
2: kids, <laughs> I
1: think that and that's what I'm saying. I think the earlier contract in business was pension. Yes. We're going to take care of you. Yes. It was implied. Didn't have to talk about it because it existed. Now that's a problem because each side is looking for something, but they don't come together in such a way where they agree. I think that's why some of our young people are saying, I want this experience. I'm going to stay here for a while until I get what I need and I'm going somewhere else. I think the difference would be, why are you here? I do a lot of purpose conversations with millennials. How do you want to make a difference? I don't know about you, too, but I thought that way when I was a kid, younger, and I still do. How do you make a difference, and why are you doing this job? Because if the why isn't strong, they won't stay. But if you can keep tapping into that why, I love Simon Sinek's work on this. Mm -hmm. He's got a lot of YouTube videos on it. Um, The why and purpose to me is lost because we used to be committed in that contract. Now we're independent sales agents for our own skills. So if you don't engage me, I'm going to go somewhere else. Maybe you should learn about what engages them and ask those questions and say, this is the contract. If I give you this, then I expect this. And how do we negotiate that?
2: Have you guys seen um, the new commercial for... uh uh, employment at Amazon now, this is Amazon okay the world's largest retailer right the spot talks about uh, there's a, a young lady um, who has joined the company at an entry level and she's explaining her experience and she says my gosh they're you know they're paying me a decent wage and the hours are good and flexible and they're paying for me to go to school so I can leave the company that's crazy they're actually promoting that, the idea of, well, come on aboard and we'll, you know, we'll pay for this, we'll give you that, and then you can just leave if you want to.
1: Interesting. That's yeah, I mean it is to me because it says I care about you enough to invest in you. In a sense, it's that contract of the pension from the past. You have the option to go, but I'm going to make it so that you want to stay. Yeah,
0: I think that's ultimately what would be coming of that is if I know, then I don't have to have a hidden agenda, right. right? So I know up front that they're saying, you are probably transitional here. You're probably going to come and you're going to go. We want to make your experience where you're here a good experience. And it's kind of like if the experience is good enough, you'll probably want to stay. Yeah. Right? Versus um, acting like, we don't know, or we don't think that this is going to happen. That they're at a job because they need the paycheck, or they need the benefits. Yeah. And what is the Gallup poll? Seventy percent of the American population is physically there, but mentally disengaged. I'm
2: surprised it's not higher than that.
0: You know, and and it's it's
1: pathetic. It's sad, right? On the on the, on the or the leader side, because one of the things at Gallup, because I've had some work with them. Um, one of the things that Gallup says, and I agree with, people don't quit their jobs. They cre- cre- they quit their managers. Mm. And so the leader connection is really important. And this is my favorite conversation when I used to do coaching in HR with my managers um, they won't train their people because they're afraid of losing them. Yes. And like if you don't train them, you're going to lose them. Because if you don't keep con- investing within them, they don't believe that you ha- they have value with you. So if they don't have value with you, they're going to find value somewhere else. Right. That's the chicken or the egg kind of a thing, right? right? Yeah. So I
0: love that. Let's stay with that for a moment. Let's, let's uh, drill down on that. People don't quit their job. They quit their manager. Have you seen, either of you have seen experiences of that?
1: Absolutely. In fact, the person that used to be one of my leaders was the most disengaging person that I ever worked for, and she taught that.
0: (laughs) Interesting. So
1: sometimes it's like self-deception. You think you're a good leader, but are you really engaging your employees so that you really know who they are, what their why is, why they're there? And what is their focus? Because they have a focus. It's not just for money anymore. A lot of times it's not just a paycheck.
0: One of your favorite phrases with me often, Kathy, has been leadership goes to command and control, right? I actually uh, sat through a program once where the guy said, everything in in our world has changed in the last hundred years, technology, you know, communication, everything. He just ticked off one and he had this as a, a slide presentation, so he would show medicine. He would show the doctor who used to go to your house to <laughs> the, the MRI machine now, right? And so everything has changed except management that is still in an industrial age command and control. People have changed. Environments have changed, but leadership has not changed necessarily or management in this case is what he was talking about. Now, I have a theory about command and control, but I think you do, too. So I'm going to ask you your thoughts on command and control.
1: Well, command and control, I don't have a lot of thoughts on it because I don't agree with it. I like a quote from John Maxwell. He's one of my favorite leadership authors. He says, if you're walking down a path and you turn around and no one's following you, you're not a leader. (laughs) Leader is about influence and people wanting to follow you. Command and control to me, only works in crisis situations when people are about to die. That's why the military looks like it is. You have to be in line and you have to have that chain of command because if you don't, somebody's going to pass away. But in an organization that's morphing and growing and technology is changing and ages are different and we got five generations in the workplace that think differently, you have to be a lot more responsive to what's the why of that individual person. An older person in my day would work for the job. A lot of people are working for the experience now. They work for the education or learning that they can get from it. The motivations are different. And if you don't know what the motivations are, how can you lead someone? I have a
0: theory on command and control. Do you have any things that you want to say on this, Randy, before I go? No,
2: I was never that kind of manager. Um, I, I, I wanted people to follow me and I wanted to to set a good example. And um it worked for the most part. Nobody ever quit me, which is nice. I, I've never felt like anybody looked at me and said, "You know, you suck," and <laughs> and and bailed out. Um, so no, it's just I've, it's just never been my
1: well. And, and I think that you can assume in an organization that everybody thinks and leads the same way. And I'll give you an example. I inherited an employee that was struggling with a manager who was uh, like an equal to me in leadership in HR. And eventually we had a layoff, and he had to be laid off. I inherited this particular person. And I'll never forget what he told me as he was leaving. I had him for probably nine months. He said, if you had been my original manager for the whole time I was here, I would have flourished, but I couldn't flourish under her. And so I think there's a mismatch sometimes in character between the two as well.
0: Well, we've had conversations with lots of managers and leaders over the years, Kathy and I. And um, here's my experience. I don't know a single manager or leader that says, yes, I'm proud of it. I'm command and control. They all think they're, they're influencing, right? And in some cases they are. But where I see command and control come out and come out big, and it's happened to me, I'll own this, is the moment we're not meeting results. When things are going south, it's it feels like that military zone. People will die, so do it and shut up, you know. And so when when the heat gets turned up, and and this is a this could be the makings of another podcast. But one of the trainings we used to talk about is you got to be able to stand in the heat. And when the heat rises, do people? Is it every man for himself? Do we do we run and hide or do we? And that's what takes practice and drilling. Almost is just like anything else. We say we won't go there, but how many how many sports events have we watched in our life that the uh, the head coach is, you know, I allow my assistant coaches to run the show
2: until they're in deep trouble. Yeah, right up until a player does something wrong and he grabs him by the face mask yeah, yeah, and shakes yeah, his head yeah, around. Yeah, we know who
0: we're talking about. That's yeah, what that's he Command is. and control. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a my reputation. It's all about what's going on, and I'm gonna look bad. Right. So it's where every man, you know, starts to fend for themselves. And that's when command and control comes out. And I have been that person and I don't like it. And it's, 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 but it it's like second nature, I think, as a human, especially if you're into producing uh, results and achieving, that you'll try cajoling and rolling, you know, motivating and everything else. And when all else fails, it's do it or die trying, one yeah. or the other. Yeah. Right. Or
2: I'll find someone else that'll do it. Exactly. Boy, I was told that in my early career. There's a million guys out there that want your job. So right. So get in there and do it.
0: And, and that's the sad part. <clears throat> now, human is what a human is. And if you do that, the key is, can you come back and apologize? Yeah. You know, if you can. That never happens.
2: Yeah, well, it could, though. Well, it could. But that just seems to me to be so rare because... People, people who work that way and manage that way um, generally hold their own self esteem very high. And, um, and apologizing is just a sign of weakness. Well, for is people it self esteem like
0: or is it I got to go up the food chain? You know, I'm in trouble. I'm the one at risk, right? I've got the bigger mortgage, I've got the yeah. more kids to support.
1: And, you know, so it becomes. Um, but, but I think that's when leadership has to become a we. I mean, there's been times when I've had to sit under the fire as a leader, but I'm a collaborative leader and I get input from everybody that I lead so that I know where they're coming from and the why behind why they do what they do. And we all own it at the end together when it doesn't go well too right. as well as when it's successful and I think that's the key. You might have command and control because somebody is breathing above your head but that doesn't mean that you have to dump that back down to the people that work with you. You still if you have a collaborative team you'll work out solutions and you'll do it together and you'll be successful because no leader can do it by themselves. Right. The
2: cynical guy though says crap rolls downhill.
1: Yeah, <laughs> And I get that. I've had crap roll downhill but we, rev- we revamp or we process improve? Or we think together, how could we do this differently next time? Because for me to go and tell them, you must do it this way, is not going to get the results the next time either. Right. So I think we're not having the conversations that we could have. And we revert to what you're saying when we, that's our gut reaction, we got to retrain ourselves to go, okay, guys, let's do this differently. What are we going to do? And how are we going to fix this? So let's take that example. You
0: have just your... Uh your collaborative uh, leader and the one above you is now just put if this doesn't happen, you're out right So like the most pressure that you can get. How do you how do you stay collaborative with your team when you everything that you need the job, you need the insurance, you need all the things that are going on now your, your, your uh, safety is at risk. Your uh, self-reliance is all at risk. Your your way of living is yeah, at risk. Yeah, your livelihood. Your livelihood. That's
1: the right word. Thank you. At, How at, would you deal with that? At one point, I worked for a labor attorney. You, it doesn't get any tougher than that. They can fire you really fast because of all of that kind of stuff. I built the relationship up as well as built it down. If you don't have a relationship with your superiors— then are you in the right job is my question. Ah, Because if you can't build a relationship with somebody above you, you're probably not aligned and you're never going to place that person. It was, t- it was a tough road for a while because we learned each other, but we had each other's backs and she's still a friend of mine to this day. But it was a-, a road that I was willing to take a risk on and I think some people aren't. I think relationship will take you where authority won't. All right, so I get that.
0: So in this situation... You had that. Let's pretend now you've got a situation where you don't have the relationship up or that person's so panicked that they they can't hear.
1: I had a situation where I was actually put on a performance improvement plan that I've never been on in my entire life, and I wasn't at fault. Somebody else was at fault, and it was a very senior leader that was at fault. And we had the conversation, and with and it was interesting because I was inheriting a new manager at the same time that was going to replace that role with her. And she asked to sit in on the situation. And when I walked out of there, I accepted the responsibility for what she thought I did. I said, I will take it under advisement. I will think through every action I take from now on. I promise that this won't happen again. I don't think it happened in the first place, but I I owned it. I walked out of there with my young leader who's 20 years younger than me, which was a joy. And I love her. She said, what I saw today was grace that instantly created a relationship of trust with my next manager, who I would be under for the rest of the duration. So I took a risk. I owned it. Sometimes people won't own it or they'll fight it. But really, are you going to win with a leader that's above you that's saying what they're saying? The the way you operate after a situation like that, the what you call piled higher and deeper comes down your way, that kind of stuff, is build your reputation. When you do that with intention, you usually win hearts that way. And if you don't, because I lost that leader later because she took another job, I fired myself because I wasn't going to work under that condition again. So you always have a choice. Good point. Good point. On that
0: note, I've got one final story, and then we'll wrap this up. Um, a man I used to work with and for, uh, and he was a mentor. His name is Blair Singer, and Blair uh, wrote a book called "Code of Honor," and it was a set of rules that the team creates in a sane moment <laughs> of how we're going to work together, right? And uh, Blair tells the story of he was a young entrepreneur. He had built a um, Kind of think of it like a mini, mini, mini UPS, right? So he had a shipping business, right? He's out in California. He's got, uh, and if you ever see Blair, he's about five foot six and probably 150 pounds soaking wet, right? So he's not a very big guy. Well, uh, Blair's work staff is uh, Samoan, and there are a lot of big people, big, physically big men who are working with him. And um, Blair was growing his business, and he he someone said we'll, we're a factoring company. We'll we'll take your and we'll factor it, and we'll give you your money faster, right? Which was great. And so in the beginning, it was going really well. All of a sudden, the checks are coming in slower and slower, and it turned out that it was a scam. They absconded with this money. He had lost two hundred fifty thousand dollars, which he didn't have to lose, right? And he has to go to his team in the warehouse, and there's about 20 of these people. And he says, I have to tell you, I blew it. I, I can't pay you. We're done. We're going to have to shut down the business. And and the guy said, go in your office, boss. We want to talk to you in 10 minutes. And he goes in his office, and he goes, he's calling his wife, calling, if I don't come home, <laughs> they've cut up my body.
2: Call call 911.
0: Yeah, right. So he's, he's in his office, and, it, and they come to him, and they go, okay, here's the deal, boss. We've talked, and here's what we're going to do. You know how to sell. We don't know how to sell. You teach us how to sell, and we will work for one week for free, right? But we're in all these businesses, and if we knew how to sell, we could be picking up more business for you. And he said, like, you're not going to kill me. <laughs> you're not gonna beat me up. He goes, why are, why are you doing this? And he said, because we have a code of honor. And one of the rules in the code of honor is never abandon a teammate in need. And you're in need. We need you and you need us
2: right now. And they considered him a member of the team. They
0: did. Not just the leader. Not just the owner, not the leader, right? And so what happened is um, they worked all for free that week. He generated some money that he could start to pay them again. It took him about several months to pay off all of that, but... They just grew and, and gelled, and that was a defining moment for them. And that's what can come when that's an engaged group, right? Because they had every reason to beat the crap out of them, <laughs> right? And, and be gone and, and, you know, and be done. And well, what anyways. I like
1: about your story is it's mutual loyalty. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that leaders can stand apart. If they're not a team member of their own team— then you're in a command control situation and you're not going to have that loyalty. Right.
0: So, ladies and gentlemen, thoughts, words, and deeds. We've talked about how your thoughts and if your thought is command and control because I've got to make this result, then the words that come out of your mouth are usually, you know, uh, I, I, sir, or do it, or you die trying. And then your deeds are you have people who might stay, but they're disengaged. And we've also seen the other side of that. So if the thought is that we're collaborative, we're in this together, the words become, we've got your back, you know.